You're listening to Explore to Inspire, a Puno podcast. For more than 30 years, Puno has been sailing the world's most remote shores, exploring the globe to promote education and the protection of our precious environment. This podcast provides a unique chance to hear the travel stories of passengers and crew as they share unforgettable memories of other cultures, biodiversity, and experiences that touch them profoundly. What is the best way to prepare for a long voyage? Some people research every single detail. They read guidebooks, watch videos, and pore over maps and charts. Others let themselves be carried along, finding joy when they immerse themselves in the present. In this first episode, come aboard Le Lapirouse as she sails to Indonesia. Your guide for the day will be Ellie, videographer for the Ponon fleet. Over the course of 10 years, he's traveled the world in search of beautiful settings to record souvenir films for passengers. His particular philosophy? To leave room for a surprise. Here, he recounts his most unforgettable experience. Um, yeah, as a videographer, um, I take part as discreetly as possible in, well, the same adventures as our passengers. Uh, I film the highlights, perhaps a sunset swim on a beach in Polynesia, uh, an unexpected encounter with a polar bear at the North Pole, or an aurora borealis in Norway. But I also record daily life on board. Um, an opera singer's recital, a naturalist's lecture. I don't usually prepare what I film. Um, I improvise a lot. Uh, I film the experiences that people actually have because I think, well, each trip is pretty unique. And, well, the, the souvenir videos that our passengers take home must, must be unique too. Uh, he has to tell the story of their trip, the, that one, not the next one, or somebody else's. I spent about half a year at sea uh, due to my job. Personally and professionally, uh, I prefer expeditions into the wilderness, places that are often off the beaten track. Uh, and over the last 10 years, uh, I've had the chance to do several of them, especially the polar zones. But whenever I'm asked which trip made the biggest impression on me, um, I immediately think of this story from New Guinea. Uh, it, it was, yeah, it was truly a trip in space and time. Um, it took about... When did it do this? Yeah, it, it took place three years ago, I'd say, around March or April, during an expedition on uh, Le Lapérouse. Um, and after leaving the coast of Australia, we reached the coast of New Guinea and headed further north towards Indonesia. On this cruise, as I didn't know the region at all, um, I let myself be carried along and, as I often do, relied on the advice of uh, the other crew members who knew this part of the world. One evening, uh, Stefan, the expedition leader, came to talk with me and he's a, he's a specialist in anthropology and, and knows a lot about the indigenous people who, who live in this region. He explained that the next day would be a great opportunity to film some beautiful footage. We were going to take uh, a diversion up a branch of the New Guinea's River and we, well, we rarely visit this place, perhaps once a year and even then, not, not every year. 
He told me that we would meet a Papuan tribe called the Asmats and attend a traditional ceremony, specifically a welcoming ceremony. Stefan told me that it was a very important event for the Asmats and that it was an obligatory rite of passage if you wanted to visit their village. It's always been that way. It's uh, an Asmat tradition that's 4,000 years old. So Stefan suggests that I head to the Asmat village uh, a little ahead of the ceremony to do some scouting before the passengers arrive. I thought it was an excellent idea because it would allow me to film the arrival of the passengers in the village. The sort of shot that I always like to film. The next day, uh, I got up very early. I was super excited and uh, I prepared my filming equipment. I left my cabin and crossed the ship to the departure point. Um, it was, well, it was really warm and uh, everyone on the ship was beginning to wake up. It's, it's quite small, uh, only 92 cabins, but what fascinates me is, is the layout. It's, it's, it's quite functional. Um, I love watching the crew work on this particular ship, uh, welcoming and, and serving passengers and, and offering an incredible array of services for a ship of this size. And, well, so, coming back to where I was, uh, after taking the elevator, I arrived at the meeting point uh, on one of the lower decks. It was, well, it was already quite hot and it was time to go. So, we zipped over the water in a zodiac and we headed to the Asmat village uh, for the recognizance. With me was um, Olivier, uh, Ponant's photographer, and the Stefan, the expedition leader, and we also had a we also had another naturalist with us. We we travelled up the the Sungai Blumen River, and uh, the water was was ochre colour, quite quite dark, uh, typical of equatorial Asia, and on the banks the. The vegetation was, was dark too, but, but, well, all green. It wasn't always possible to see beyond it. Uh, so we're, we're advancing slowly. The Zodiac rounded a bend, and there, all of a sudden, the, the Asmat village it was right in front of us. So it, it really hit me at that point. The closer we got, the more I understood that this was going to be an unforgettable experience. The whole village was, was built on stilts. It seemed to float above the river, and there were about 40 houses, I would say, maybe more. Um, they were small and made of wood, very black-looking wood, but not like, not, like, not like paint. I've never seen anything like it, basically. The naturalists told us that the houses are this color because they're very old. Many are, are several centuries old. Uh, some of the roofs were also brightly colored, which, which was an, a nice contrast. And I was already thinking of, well, the beautiful pictures that I'd be able to take here. So we moved deeper into the stilted village in the Zodiac, slowly navigating between the houses. Uh, the streets of the village are actually wooden bridges constructed above the water. And at the foot of the houses, there were canoes. They were long and, and hewn out of very rough wood. Uh, we, we arrived at the small pontoon and where, where we disembarked. And, uh, well, our contact was waiting for us. Someone from the village uh, who speaks English. I mean, Stefan said it's very rare. This local man had uh, basically left the village, all of its life and traditions, to live apparently a, a more modern way of life in town. And, well, with this man, there was another man, quite small, uh, an asthmat, and Stefan told us it was the, the chief of the village. I'll, I'll remember this man for a, a long time. It, it was my first contact with the asthmat culture, and I will always remember his withered look, uh, but also his wide smile, the colorful outfit, and his loincloth, his hat. It was 
more of a cape decorated with feathers and, and, and the white paintings on his face. Before arriving, I, I had an open mind, but I was still very surprised. Our contact explained that the chief was delighted to welcome us, and he was looking forward to sharing his culture. Uh, he had previously had positive experiences with um, several Ponar reconnaissance teams and passengers, so he gave his authorization for us to attend something very rare, the preparation for the famous welcome ceremony. It takes place normally behind closed doors in a separate house. Stefan and the naturalist guide uh, accompanying us seemed, well, they seemed quite surprised. This had never happened before. Uh, I knew this was a huge privilege and a mark of respect that the Asmet chief had for us. Uh, he agreed to let me film the preparation of the ceremony, but on one condition, that I didn't disturb the men or intervene. I was to remain discreet and, uh, and only spectate. We followed the chief into the heart of the village, uh, and I began to hear a, some sort of a commotion. The boards that form the bridges are not the same size. Sometimes you can see through them uh, to the water underneath. I looked around me, and there were a few people around at this hour. What I saw was a great sense of simplicity. Uh, the village was a curious blend of the ancestral and the modern. What's old was beautiful, and what's modern seemed out of place. For example, there was a brand new moped that really stood out, a stark contrast, and the Asmets seemed to live as they did several millennia ago, adopting little of the modern world. So we, we continued to walk through the village, and motion became louder and louder. We arrived in front of a, a large house, much longer than the others. It must have been 40 meters long. The noise were coming from there, so we were told that this house is called the House of Men. Ordinarily, only Asmat men have the right to enter it, and we went in. I, I immediately thought that it lived up to its name. The shock was total, uh, visual, auditory, sensory. As, as soon as I went in, I sensed the, the sacred nature of the place. It was as if I was entering a church or a mosque, a place of worship. I, I felt humble. I moved forward slowly. It, inside it was rustic and the walls were made from logs. The, the ceiling, well, the roof is, is made of dried reeds, yellow like straw. A kind of thatched cottage. Vibrant green plants were suspended from the ceiling. Their long and thin tendrils, they were tumbling down to head height. Everywhere were big white totems representing characters. They seemed to climb on top of each other. It was, it was breathtaking. The house had no partitions. It was uh, simply a very large room, which, which meant I could see everything. About 40 men of various ages were rehearsing the ceremony that the passengers would attend later in the day. There were even children. Everyone was dressed in traditional cloths, a kind of richly colored loincloth, a headdress decorated with varying amounts of feathers, some, some jewelry as well. Um, all the men were moving, but not in unison. They, they were all doing very different things, either alone or in small groups of three or, or four. They each seemed to be practicing a small part of the ceremony. It made a beautiful and colorful, even though a very chaotic scene. I took my camera out and, and started filming. Our expedition leader was at the other end of the large room. It was a shame that, well, I didn't have his commentary to understand what was happening. Everything seemed 
Very disordered anyway, so I'm not even sure he understood what was going on. I started filming uh, what I saw around me in the house of men. I was spoiled for choice. There, there was amazing things wherever I looked. In the center of the room, several men were preparing a kind of plant decoction, which they, they then smoked. I wondered what it might taste like. It, it smelled good. And on one side, a young man dressed in an ochre-colored loincloth seemed to be repeating movements with a large spear, and another was tapping on drums, repeating a piece of music with, with older men. It was repetitive, uh, tribal rhythm. Uh, they started to shout all together, and they, they stopped and started again. Some men danced, uh, or at least they, they seemed to be rehearsing some sort of a choreography. It was hip-swaying dance that seemed almost modern, but <laughs> I doubt that it is. Then they got back together and started to practice dancing in a circle. Over to the right, there, there was a man crushing stones. He collected the powder and painted white patterns on the face of his neighbor. And, well, I understand at this point that it's the way they get their makeup done, they crush the stone powder. And near them, another asthmat collected ash so he could paint black patterns on his forehead. A man approached me and looked directly at me. He seemed insistent, and he pointed at my camera with a smile. So I shot a close-up, and in the years since, I've looked at this shot a hundred of times, as if to verify that it wasn't all a dream. The man was wearing a sort of angular woven hat, a bit like a military cap with beige and black stripes. He was wearing jewelry on his arms and, and large rings around his biceps. His face was stripped with horizontal white lines. It was very impressive. I thought he had well, a certain elegance, almost almost military-like. Uh, it was very a very ceremonial appearance. He, he continued on his way, and I kept on filming the interior of the house, the songs, the dances, and the white totems. Everywhere I looked, there was a hustle and bustle with rituals that I had trouble to understand. The smoke added to the confusion. It was quite a cacophony from the outside, but I know the asthmats know what they're doing. It's beyond my comprehension, and yet at the same time, it, it fascinates me. Um, I filmed gestures, uh, postures, and costumes that the asthmats first created thousands of years ago. What, what do they what do they mean where where, where have the women gone uh, I, I hoped that we would get some answers later during the ceremony when when it all came together when when everything would make sense in, in the meantime I made myself small uh, unobtrusive silent and as respectful as possible uh, just as the chief requested I wanted to avoid making any gestures that could be well misinterpreted so I tried to stay focused on my plans and uh, I shoot and then perhaps later I'd understand this spiritual journey uh, of another time lasted about 10 maybe 30 minutes I I didn't know until later when I rewatched the videos that it was it was 18 minutes exactly it was a moment suspended in, in time and space. And then a man cried out and made everything stop. The men stopped. I guess the ceremony itself was about to begin and the men started to leave the house. But anyway, it was, it was now time to organize the passengers who were arriving in, in small groups in Zodiacs. I didn't want to miss their arrival, uh, their surprise as well, when they discovered the asthmat for the first time their clothes and their dances. So, as we welcomed the passengers, 
I finally got to hear our naturalist explain in detail the ceremony that we were going to attend, so we moved along with the passengers towards the place where it was going to be held. And it began, and everything became clearer. The ceremony portrayed the history of the Asmak culture. The whole tribe, including the women, reenact important events, including a daily life, encounters, battles that are, that are impossible to date. And this was how they, they welcomed us, by explaining to us their clothes and, and their rights are thousands of years of history. It's a story that they have safeguarded from the modernity that now pervades the rest of New Guinea. This added to my fascination. I recognized the gestures that I saw in the House of Men, in particular a circular dance that was quite hypnotic. It represented the natural elements. And even several years later, I often think about it all and the strength of the emotions that I felt, the way those people lived, the way they have preserved their, their, their traditional ways of life, totally out of step with the modern world. I was transported back 4,000 years in a matter of seconds. It was the most amazing and intense feeling that I've experienced as a videographer in my 10 years of traveling around the globe. And it all happened so fast, almost like a dream. When I got home, I, I couldn't wait to show the footage to my friends, like Ponon travelers do with my films. I wanted to show them the images to explain how the Asmat live. I understood then that in addition to filming picture-perfect postcard images, I also wanted to convey knowledge. This whole experience reinforced my choice of not preparing for trips too much. I prefer to discover everything as it happens so that I can better communicate the emotions and sense of marvel that one feels during these encounters with people or with nature. You have just listened to Explore to Inspire, the Punan podcast. To prolong this escape to remote and wondrous destinations, join our community of enthusiasts on the Punan social networks or visit our blog eskills.punan.com. We hope to see you soon to share more beautiful stories on our next podcast episode and on board our ships.